Good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's episode of Hey Sister. Hey, sister, how you doing? All is well over here in AZ. How are you, sister, in Florida? Uh, doing well. It was a beautiful day here in um, Florida. And if you are watching, you are in for a treat tonight. But what we want you to do is join the conversation in the comments. So make sure that you share this broadcast with your friends. So start a watch party or just share it with your friends and say, hey, come on over to Hey Sister and get a part of the conversation tonight. We're super excited because we have two uh, very phenomenal guests tonight. Not just one, but two phenomenal guests tonight. And we just are really, really elated about the program that we have for you all this evening. So uh, with that being said, all right, well, we have Cam is in the place. He says, hey, hey, hey Cam, thanks for joining us. We also have our Jody. Hey, Jody, hey, how Jody. you doing? Thanks so much for joining us tonight. We're super excited to bring you this program. But in true Hey Sister fashion, you know we always have to start off with hot topics. And we can't think of any other hot topic then one, Mr. Joseph R. Biden. <laughs> okay, so I want to say for the record, and I'm going to stay up front. It doesn't matter what he says. It don't matter what his comment is. It doesn't matter if his running mate is a rock. Because guess what? <laughs> he better than what we have right now. Because at least I have confidence that... He will assemble a team and actually listen to the advice of experts instead of thinking he's the smartest person in the room. You know, one of the key things in leadership is that you surround yourself with smart people and you listen to them. So why don't you tell the people what he says, sister, because I, I don't even have time. OK, well, I mean, he did. um an interview with Charlemagne the God and Charlemagne the God, uh, Leonard, uh, is, uh, one third of the hosts on the breakfast club. And I always reference the breakfast club cause it's a, a show that I like to watch on YouTube. Uh, many people listen to it across the country on their local radio station. And to be honest, Charlemagne has been very critical of Joe Biden up, up to this point. And rightfully so, you know, he's felt, as though um, you know, Joe Joe Biden did not come to the Breakfast Club during the um, primaries, and he just felt like, you know, he didn't have this agenda, this black agenda that Charlemagne has. Again, in fairness, ask every single candidate has that has come to the Breakfast Club about. That said, they finally sat down and had a conversation, and Joe Biden right out the gate was like, "Listen." I have a problem with the fact that you have a problem with me. Like you've not given me a fair shot because you don't even know me. And so, you know, Charlemagne was like, well, that's why you're here. So I can get to know you. They had a conversation. It was about 18 minutes long or so. Um, you know, you could definitely hear that there was someone uh, saying, okay, that that's a wrap. It, it was obviously not meant to be very long. He said his wife uh, had an interview as well. The bottom line is ultimately at the end, he made a remark that went something like, if you don't know who you're voting for at this point and you're voting for Trump, then you ain't, you all, you all, you ain't black. 
or something to that effect. It's not a direct quote. You guys can look it up. It's very easy to look up because it's all over everywhere. And, um, you know, my personal opinion was that it was a pretty awkward interview all the way around. Um, I, I listened to Angela Rye's uh, commentary on it because she is one of the people who pinned the Washington Post uh, op-ed piece about the Black agenda. Um, I think it's called Lift Every Voice, to be specific. And um, she, you know, had she felt like the interview was pretty patronizing. I would say in the same way, I, I thought it was a bit of pandering, to be perfectly honest. But again, I think when we live in a nation and we're bombarded with media coverage of things that are very biased, very skewed, um, you know, when you have someone who says one off, makes one off color comment, do, does that now weigh more heavily for me than someone who makes an off color comment several hours of every day? No, it doesn't. Um, do I have I had a problem with it being a Joe Biden versus Donald Trump for the U.S. presidency in the first place? Absolutely. And I've said that here, I, you know, uh, but do I also take issue with a lot of black people who it's like seemingly seeking some level of perfection. Yes. And at the end of the day, I continue to ask, how are we expecting white men to have a black agenda? If you want to have a black agenda, then be very clear about what it is we're asking. But we're again, not a monolith. So you have people like Candace Owens, God bless her in so many ways. And the dead. Jesus. <laughs> uh, who, who took this as an opportunity to jump on it and to me it's more insulting for her to be writing this book about blackness and the second escape from the democratic plantation and it's more insulting for the white her white supporters to be like oh my gosh i can't believe <laughs> You black people are allowing him to say this. Y'all ain't black. I mean, how dare he? And it's like, really? Because I feel like y'all president clowns us every chance he gets. And I don't see. Oh, you me. mean like the comment about um, starting a historically black college and university? That one? Oh, oh I missed that one. Well, you ain't missed much. Miss, <laughs> let's just say this. Okay. It is absolutely imperative that you make your own decisions. So we drop the link in the comment section for you to watch. I stated my position very clearly. I don't need to watch the interview because it, at this point, it doesn't matter for me. The comments, the gaffes, so whether it's Charlemagne or P. Diddy, how about you bring your Black agenda to the candidate and see who aligns with you and tell them what your agenda is and how you're going to hold them accountable to that except, instead of expecting them to come to you with an agenda. I think we need to do both. And I think we also need to get, get real with ourselves in some of the um, what we choose to be so exasperated about. You know what I mean? Because... Absolutely. Kamala wasn't good enough because she was a prosecutor. Cory Booker wasn't good Barack enough. Barack wasn't black enough. Cory Booker wasn't black enough. I mean, you know, what? what is it? But yet, Bill Clinton was the first black president. How about I mean, that? I don't know what you... I don't, I don't know, know what you people want. 
I don't know what you people want, but I know one thing. What we need to do in this moment in time is be really clear that this truly is a binary choice. And I think that's ultimately what he was saying. Now, obviously, he didn't say it in a very eloquent way. And for many people, it was um, it, it, it was, again, pandering. And it felt very uh, paternalistic of him to suggest that, you know, oh, uh, you need to tell us about blackness in the year of our Lord 2020. But at the same time, uh, maybe we know. need to learn about our own blackness in the year of our Lord 2020 and stop looking, seeking it elsewhere. But that's a conversation for another day. And it will tie in to the guests that we have on this evening. Absolutely. We're excited to bring our first guest on tonight. Will you do the honors of introducing her sister? Absolutely. I am going to introduce you fabulous people to the one and the only Rico Burdens, known as a charismatic communications professor, transformational speaker, a trainer, a curriculum designer, and actress and voiceover talent. Marika Rico, also known as Lady B. McCoy Burton is far more than a triple threat, but she is most importantly an advocate for the arts. And she can be seen, She's all, she lives in the Phoenix, Arizona area. She can be seen locally and regionally on stages, performing in musical, musicals and dramatic plays. She's, again, a sought-after voiceover actress, talent for radio, television, and industrial film. Welcome, Miss Rico Well, hello, hello, hello. Hello. You made me sound good. I'm like, ooh, who is that? I want to meet her. <laughs> Well, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us tonight. And if you're friends with Rico, please join the conversation yes. in the comments. Say hi. Uh, tell us why she is so fabulous. But really tonight we wanted you on um, because you have a strong connection to our, our, our second guest, um, our author, Ms. Joan yes. Basser. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing and your connection, as Christina said, you, you're a lover of the arts. Tell us where that love came from. You know, the love for arts for me is just innate. It is something that was instilled in me from birth. You know, God gives us all different gifts. And one of my gifts is creativity. I'm creative when it comes to, well, you know, personally in terms of acting and singing and doing other things, but also in, in see videos and, and flyers. It's just, it, it's the gamut of things. It's like, oh my word, what should I do next? And so whenever I get the opportunity to share a thought or to, to put a message out there that's going to inspire somebody in some way, form or fashion, be it on the stage, be it in a commercial or something, I am more than happy to do it. And that is where I get my joy, my pleasure. It just, I don't know, when you find your, your purpose, you just have to roll with it. And that is mine. It just absolutely is. Awesome. That is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. So tell us about all the things that you're doing in your area to promote art, specifically the art of readership and the art of, of writing wonderful books. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, I'm always inspired when, again, somebody shares a message. And, and I wrote a book a few years back. And I know you have a book out that I'm excited about. And and I'm in several book clubs, several book clubs. And, and those come about because you just want to share information with other people and find out, you know, it's, it's a way for camaraderie and for sisterhood, if you will. And part of what my sorority is doing 
Maserati is doing these next four years is a focus on the arts, specifically the Harlem Renaissance and the Black Arts Movement. So that's a that's a nice wide range of things. And so many of the books that we're reading come into that realm and to find out so many wonderful people of color that are authors or people who have people who are doing spoken word and the rest. And I'm finding ways as a professor of communication to have my students do assignments that even speak to this kind of thing. And it opens up their horizons. And then of course, gives me more information that I can use for other things too. And so it's just a win all the way around. And so in terms of the authors, I certainly am encouraging anybody who has a message to write it down, get it out of your belly, just to write it down and see what you want to do with it later on. You just never, never know. And then because I'm in a couple of book clubs, several books have just come to us and we have just been in with them. Oof. And we said to ourselves, so we have to meet this author. And oh my word, was she ever so approachable and so accommodating. And I thought, I've got to make her more available to more people. And so several other book clubs that I'm in, I'm bringing her along for the ride. Fantastic. Well, we are super excited that you introduced her to us so we can um, bring her along yes. for the ride tonight. And we um, have the pleasure of uh, bringing to you all this evening, Miss Joan Vassar. She is a native New Yorker. You will hear that in the accent yes. when she comes up. <laughs> she currently resides in Georgia, but she is an avid reader and storyteller. And what she does is she um, enjoys writing narratives about African-American life, the African-American experience, and weaving historical fiction together to tell stories that are relevant to our past, but as well as our present and our future. And so we're so excited to have Ms. Joan Vassar join us this evening. Hey, hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. How are you? Now, um, tell us about your um, your experience with our lady Burton before we uh, before she drops out of the studio again. Tell us about your experience meeting her, and because I'm I'm sure she because she's a she is a force in and of herself. She really right? is. She called me right up. She said, listen, I'm part of the uh, page turners. We've been reading your books. I missed you, but I don't want to miss you anymore. So what, what can we do? And so I couldn't do anything but smile. And so it has been an interesting couple of weeks getting to know her. And so that has been a good experience. And always it's a good experience when someone uh, embraces your work and thinks that it's worth something and, and they want to share it with other people. It is the best compliment. And so she's just been wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Everything I have asked, she has said yes to. And she just made herself so available and she was so accommodating. You don't always get that. So I'm just grateful to you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for everything. Thank I you. so look forward to making this happen. We're going to be with you tomorrow for one thing. And then, of course, yes. again in September. Thank you so yes. much. Thank yes. you, ladies. Thank you. Well, you stay yep. hanging, hanging for a while. And we're going to talk to Joan and we'll bring you back at the end. OK, thank you. All right. So Joan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are super excited to have you. And off the top, we'll say y'all make sure y'all stay involved in this conversation because we have uh, giveaways as a part of this show tonight. Um, but Joan, if you would tell the folks about um, 
about your black series. You know, I have done some of the, the reading and um, just trying to get familiar with the characters. But tell us, what was the inspiration behind your black series? Um, so the inspiration behind, uh, first of all, let me first tell you, I consider myself a contemporary writer. Mm -hmm. um, and I always loved uh, historical fiction. It was always, you know, I would uh, get out online and even before online, you'd go to the store and you'd look for historical fiction. And it uh, was considered a white genre. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, okay, so, I mean, Black people have a history and they fell in love before today. And I want to read about that too. Um, and so uh, I think uh, the first author that I saw that was like that was Beverly Jenkins. Um, and uh, it was a nice experience to see an author who was telling a Black story. And I often wondered what would the narrative be for here, you know, for this country? Because most of them were set in other countries and Irish, Scottish, and great stories, but no story like me. And so um, uh, I decided to write a, a story in a book in 2000. And I wrote a book called Generations and I tried to shop it around and no one was interested. And I was told that no one would want to read this book, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I took the book and carried it with me for about 14 years from home to home, apartment to apartment. And then uh, when my last child turned 18, I thought, I'll give it a shot and I'll, I'll um, self-publish it. And so I went through a vanity press. And those are the ones that you write a book and they print it no matter what you write. And um, so I went through and uh, I took all my coins um, because, you know, they're not really interested in selling the book. They're, they make their money by getting you in to, uh, to uh, write, uh, to publish a book. After that, they're not interested, but it was an opportunity for me to get a book out. And so I took a manuscript that had been sitting in my house um, from 2000 and in 2014 uh, and 15, I transformed it and changed it from generations um, and gave it a title of black. And I might've been um, at a point in my life where I thought, well, if I fail, I am no longer, um, measuring my blackness, my level of success, or uh, my level of being able to relate my blackness to other black people through a white lens. I'm gonna do it. And then if it fails, it just fails. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I wrote black, uh, got it out to the masses and slowly um, but surely black women have proven themselves, uh, my readers, um, have proven themselves to be uh, better than head and shoulders uh, uh, customers because they tell more than two friends. Mm -hmm. And the book has just uh, taken off. And from there, I've written a series that has continued on. Um, and I just dropped the fourth book on the 1st of May. Wow. That is fantastic. Sister, I know you have a question. Yeah, of course. So first of all, uh, thank you again for being here. 
Um, I just wanted to, uh, we, so last week we were having a conversation in our hot topics about the Netflix series, Hollywood. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've had a chance to see it, but one of the, okay. One of the things that I mentioned that I get a little bit caught up on with Hollywood, um, which was this film or even with Hamilton, the play, for example, is that sometimes we blend a lot of historical elements with fictional elements and mm -hmm. the line gets blurred. And if people don't do that additional piece of research, they might be retelling a Hollywood story, which was really, uh, a, it was fictional, but because it had historical elements, they think they, they know the real story. So how do you um, responsibly, I guess, blend historical ele elements and fictional elements without, you know, taking too many creativity, creative liberties, excuse me, without taking too many creative liberties, but without also, you know, without in any either, either way, either being too creative with the liberties or diminishing the historical uh, context. So how do you responsibly blend the two of you? Well, firstly, um, there's a large responsibility that happens when you're, first of all, a Black artist, because oftentimes as Black artists, we are not able to just sometimes tell a fun story. We uh, have to end up being responsible in a lot of areas because the history is so muddled. Um, and so one of the things that I attempted to do in telling a historical fiction was to start by writing Black people even into history. All historical fiction can't be white. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. So that's already a liberty. Um, uh, and then next, uh, I uh, included uh, historical figures, um, uh, Frederick Douglass, uh, uh, Harriet Tubman, but I also included white historical figures, uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Fernando Wood. Um, and uh, so what I did was research and there is a lot of it. Um, and you have to decide what you will put in the story. But I think the difference is I'm, attempt I'm attempting to tell or celebrate three things. Um, in historical fiction, you want to stay true to the time. Mm -hmm. But I have decided to write about Black men who have decided this the last damn bit of cotton they're going to pick. Mm -hmm. And so that was a start, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, the premise of my story, Black, is that he is the fictional son of Nat Turner. Mm -hmm. And I picked Nat Turner to make sure that I don't end up writing Gone with the Wind. Mm -hmm. I think it was important that I tell a different narrative. And I think it was important to tell a historical fiction that was Black, that was a personal experience, that you get to see Black men in love with Black women, that you're celebrating Black family, that you're seeing Black people live in adversity and still be in love as we do today. I mean, we just saw a young man get shot down and we're all still trying to move on, his mother included. So mm -hmm. it was an opportunity to tell a story where I'm celebrating black love, uh, black family, uh, black orgasm, just anything that is black, black masculinity. Mm 
And I just took those things and set them in a time when uh, black masculinity was a hard thing to come by Mm -hmm. um, for the black man. Um, And so uh, it was an opportunity to um, not shy away from uh, tell it. And I had I had people say to me. Um, that are historical fiction readers mainstream that, I mean, so you just told the historical fiction and set these people in. I mean, I, I never got questioned about it or never heard questions about it as long as the story was Irish, Scottish. And I made it a point to add Abraham Lincoln to the story because you cannot have 6 million uh, slaves in a country and they not be part of the history. Mm-hmm. Right. So... I think I, how do I do it? Very carefully. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I, I love every, so if you all, cause there was so many gems just dropped right there. <laughs> I just like, can I go back and pick some of them gems up? <laughs> Listen, y'all join this conversation in the comments tonight. So if you have questions for our author, please bring them up. As she says, she has this series called black and black is his name. He is the fictional son of Nat Turner and someone who was affirmed in his blackness and what comes along with that. So tell us for you, Joan, how did you get affirmed in your own blackness and comfortable in your own skin? Because it's something that at, we still have struggles with. Definitely. Um, And I think it's also contributing to as we were talking in hot topics, some of our schizophrenia around these type of conversations when people make these certain comments. Um, I uh, First of all, I had to see myself as an artist. That mm-hmm. was one thing. And for a long time, I believed that if I could not get a book deal, then I was not an artist. And so number one, you have got to step away from the yardstick that is white and and realize that it is okay to be black and be you. And so I went into this that if I fail at telling this story and no one is interested, that would be okay. At least I tried. Mm -hmm. So that was the first uh, beginning. And you go, you know, I, I just turned 52 yesterday. Oh, um, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. And I was excited to do this because this was all part of my birthday weekend for myself. Oh, right. um, but when I got about 45, you and, and I thought this was late for myself, but I imagine it's on time for me. Um, there was a moment when I said, okay, I can no longer say it's because I can't get a book deal. It's because my kids are little. I've got to make some decisions and follow through. And Mm -hmm. the first thing I had to do was be okay with telling a black story. Mm -hmm. Be okay with telling the story where, uh, the black man is the hero. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I started off attempting to entertain black women And then I realized that when a story is good, um, everybody will join in. So I have all kinds of readers and that's always a compliment. But I started off telling a story uh, that was historical um, for the purpose of, I believe people were in love back then. The way I uh, I believe black people were in love back, the way I believe they're in love now that we don't really see a lot of. And so, um, 
it is a pleasure. And there was also this stigma of, of being a person who uh, self-published, but more and more black people are self-publishing because you can't get into mainstream. And then when you do, your story somehow becomes not as black as you need it to be. Um, you want to relate to the people who are you and you want people who are not like you to read about us and like it. And you don't want it watered down. Mm -hmm. um, and so the goal was to tell a story that celebrated black excellence, black masculinity, the emancipation of, of um, the black psyche. It's not enough to not be a slave. You have to now move forward. Um, and so this was a great story to tell. The character was great. I fell in love with the character, um, Black. And um, it was um, and it was so well received. Uh, I mean, the book clubs, the um, uh, the uh, events that I had been invited to because one reader said, hey, this book was really good. And so where I believed that I wouldn't be successful um, as a writer, unless I had a book deal, I realized that I had to trust Black America. Mm. That they would find me entertaining, and if not, they would tell me why, and I would go back to the drawing board. That's phenomenal. Well, we have a comment here that says, be you, they'll adjust. <laughs> I, I love that. it. I'm telling you. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. For sure, for sure. That is that is phenomenal. Oh, sister, I have some comments and questions on my watch party. So let's we run have, through. We have two of our sorority sisters, Dorothy Finney and Jane Price. Jane Price happens to be the sister of Ms. Rico Burton, who was just on with us, both sorority sister and biological sister. So you know they okay. have something in common with uh, my sister and I. Hey. <laughs> but, uh, so uh Jane wanted to know about your writing process and mm. I'm trying to get to the comment. Jane, you guys are moving faster than I can. Hold on one second. Okay. So basically she wanted to ask about the process, how, um, I don't know how to scroll up in this thing. Hold on. Let me see. I've been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> she says, what is your process for writing? Do you have a plot and build around it? or And how do you write the entire book? She also came back and said, so this is a two-parter, your books are long in length. Is, it, is that by design or does the book just get so good to you, you can't stop? Okay. So can you, can you hold one second? Jane, we need you to go to the Hey Sister page and type your comments there so we can pull them up on the screen. So for Jane and everybody else that's out there, if you're on the watch party, switch on over to the Hey Sister page so we can make sure we can bring your um, your comments up live into the broadcast. So yes, Miss Joan, tell us about your process. Um, well, there was two things that I found out being an independent writer. One, um, when you don't know something, there are not a lot of people who are going to tell you. So you have to figure that out. Um, and so when I went to the Vanity Press, all I could do was watch the process and figure out how to streamline it. And then I had to figure out some things. So my process, um, I work full time. I'm a software analyst. And so people said, do you ever want to... Um, People have said to me, do you ever want to 
quit your job so you can write full time. And I found that as long as I believed that I was writing part time, it was an excuse not to write. So I am a person who works full time and I write full time. Oh, so wow. mm -hmm. what I do um, is I, my process is, was one to figure out what is the most productive time of my day. Mm -hmm. And I devote that time to writing. So I work from home uh, several days and since the pandemic, I work from home right now totally, but I work from home three days a week. Um, and so um, I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I write from four o'clock in the morning till about 8.50 and then I log into my job. And then I work until six o'clock. And then on Saturday and Sunday, I write a full day um, and I start off at about four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. And um, my productive time starts to wane at right about two o'clock in the afternoon, right? So those are my hours of operation in terms of being a writer and the goal, and it sounds silly to start with, was one page a day. And then I pressed on from one page a day because it happens for writers the same way it happens for readers. You get to a good point, you just keep moving. Mm -hmm. When you get to a slow point, that's where you break off to go do the dishes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I had, I had a, um, what I did was make sure that I had some discipline about it um, where I didn't have it in other parts of my life. Um, and I had to first decide um, if this was going to be a, a failure because I wasn't going to put the time in or was I going to see it through. So those were things that I had to first do. And I set up a writing schedule. And one of the things I figured out is that I wrote a book in 2006 and, and self-published it and went back to these people when in 2014. But from 2006 to 2014, when people would ask me, what do you do? I would say, I'm a writer, but I hadn't written in months, years. And so one of the things I had to make sure to do was say I'm a writer and actually be doing that thing every day. You're not that thing if you're not doing it every day. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was something I had to figure out. So once I figured out that I, that in order to be that thing, I had to do it. Then that was where I stopped thinking of this as a part-time gig. And it was something that I just did. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so then from there, um, mm -hmm. you're not a writer if you don't want to be edited. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing you must and be editing edited. can be painful. And it's very painful. It's very painful. But what I've also learned is as an independent artist that I have an obligation if I want your $8.99 is to tell a story that you don't have to correct. Mm -hmm. Because that's going to make you um, come back and buy again. So I actually hire a head a editor I, I and she goes through and her, uh, her name is Felicia Morell, 
And she, I think her red pen is probably six feet tall. Uh, <laughs> and she, she puts the screws to me, but it's all for the benefit. The other thing is honing the craft. So each time I write a novel, I endeavor to be better than the time I was before in the technique and that my readers will grow with me and see that change, right? Um, so that's uh, a piece of it. So my process is to write every day. And then as I'm writing the story down, I get um, test readers. I have five that follow me through the story. And I have one test reader that is rude as hell because she just, so what that mean? I, I don't know what that mean. I, I'm sure that could be said better. And the whole time you mad, but you invited her. She didn't even ask you. You asked her, you got an attitude, that's me. Um, and then after I do deal with the, uh, the five uh, test readers, those are people that are following me through the manuscript. And I take the manuscript as far as I can take it. And it's the same as if you're staying in a hotel room and the maid is about to come and you get to clean it up before she come because you don't want her to see how dirty you can be. And so that's what I do with my manuscript. I clean it up to the best of my ability with five people reading behind me. And then once I get it as clean as I can get it, then I send it to the editor. And that allows her to actually edit me then clean up silly mistakes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the editor and I take uh, about six weeks. We go through, I make all final decisions, but I am open to learning. That's the other piece. You have to be able to be, ex to accept being criticized. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then once she and I get to a point where we think it is uh, cleaned up, I go back to test readers and then they catch everything. And it's a new group of test readers and they catch everything that me and the editor didn't see. Hmm. And then once I clean that up and I go back to my editor and she does another read through, um, I then have it formatted because I think presentation is everything. Um, and so I try not to tell you, a, uh, sell you a book where, you know, the words are not spaced on the page, right? I'm attempting to compete with people who have a book deal, mm -hmm. right? So my goal is whatever my word count is to have 3% errors. You're not going to be error free, but 3%. And then after I finish with my editor, I hired a young man uh, straight out of college and he's been with me since he was 19. He's 24. And every time I do a book cover, he does it for me and I pay him. Mm -hmm. And then I pay my editor. And then I go to a company called Demanza and I let them format me for Kindle, Nook and paperback. And when they send me back the proofs or the galleys, I get a new set of test readers and let them go through it again. And then they still find mistakes. And then I go through with the, with the formatter and I tell the formatter, hey, these are the mistakes I found. I need these cleaned up. And then once that happens, my editor goes back through it again because I'm by myself wow. where you have a whole team and you may figure out a way to streamline it. 
This mm -hmm. is just my process, mm -hmm. right? And then the editor will go through it again. And then once we come back through it in the 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 uh, formatter, because once it goes to the formatter, you're locked out of it. And no changes mm -hmm. could be made unless the formatter does it. Mm -hmm. And then once they make those final changes, I take that and find two trustworthy readers and send it to them and then let them read. Um, I had a young lady from uh, Michigan and one from Arizona from Page Turners and they test read for me. And when they finished, I bought it up live on Kindle and then I waited a week and bought the paper back up on Amazon. All right. We have a lots of comments that I got to <laughs> put up here. But yes. that process, let me tell you, it is not for the faint at heart. And having, no, it's not. having written a book, I'm going to have to re-examine my whole life after <laughs> this. Right? Okay? Yes. Listen. So we have Claudine who says, I love Joan Vassar's Black series. She also says that her 15-year-old is a young writer and is avidly listening to this episode. So thank you for having her join us tonight and participate in this conversation. We have another question. Um, it says, for those who haven't read any of your books yet, what do you say to them who might think that, oh, it's just another slave story? You know, sometimes we, we've heard that even with, oh, I don't want to go see 12 Years a Slave. It's another slave movie, you know. So what do you say to folks that um, haven't read your books yet, not familiar, um, but they are turned off by the slave narrative? Well, I think that people who have not read my book have uh, a lot of reason to be turned off by the slave narrative because the slave narrative kind of pushes everything together. And all you ever see is us as a backdrop uh, picking cotton. And um, so I could see why, um, but I say give it a try because, again, I am one of those people uh, who write about the people who decided they ain't going to pick no more damn cotton by any <laughs> means necessary. So All you right. can trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Another question here is, says, is it difficult to stick to the plot that is not watered down without sugarcoating it? Um. Yeah, she probably needs to read my book. I'm not a sugarcoater. All right. My kids are my I mean, she's like, from New uh, York. Y'all know right, they don't sugarcoat now. Right. And my kids was like, um, I, I I don't feel like I know you. You know, I'm driving kids back and forth, but my daughter said, Did you just kill him like that? You know. So uh how do I stick to the plot? The plot, I, I often try to tell a story that black people can be proud of. Mm. That's my goal that black women can read and find um, black men in the book that they say, oh, wow, he's beautiful. That's um, that my goal. Black women are my muse. I want to entertain black women. Mm -hmm. And then everybody else will be entertained. But uh, when a reader says, I when a writer says, I want to write for everybody, you, you got to have a target audience. Mm -hmm. And the target audience is for people who look like me. And then people who don't look like me will enjoy it too if I try to stay true to who I am. So do, how do I stick to the plot? The plot is that I'm telling a narrative that is going to be different from what people have seen. Um, I, I am not telling a story where everybody is picking cotton. And I bring you right up to the Civil War. But more importantly, 
I'm attempting to show you black masculinity. I'm I'm attempting to show you black camaraderie between men. And I'm attempting to show you black love. This is the black series. And it is a book about black men. And and I'm I'm unapologetic about loving them. And so I want to tell a story that is about them. And I want you to fall in love with the characters. Well, we have a black man who is watching and he has a couple questions for you right now. Uh-oh. One Mr. Charles Brown. First, he says, happy birthday. Thank and you. he says, uh, so it's a two-part question. And then he has another question in here. So he's definitely involved in this conversation mm-hmm. tonight. He says, what is blackness in the context of growth and trans, the context and growth of transracial identity? That's part one. The part two of the question is, to what degree is black male masculinity under attack? Um, so bring the question back up again to, so I could see it one more time. Mm-hmm. What is blackness in the context? Of, well, to me, uh, and you see, I, I get in trouble with this. This is why I don't. But well, this is a safe lie. space, y'all. This is a safe <laughs> space. We gonna. Yeah, I get into trouble with this because I think that we do have uh, blackness. In my mind, it is uh, growth, but I see blackness as family, right? But I also see that um, black family can be. So let me say it this way. Black women and black men, to me, are treated as two different races. Mm. And I think that this is a thing that happens to unseat the black man as head of his household. And so opportunity, and this is not a woe is me type of thing, but opportunity doesn't happen for black men as it should. And is black masculinity under attack? You know what I think? I think in another 60 years, someone else will be doing a, 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 an interview and they will be a historical black writer about this time. And you know what they will be writing about? Mass incarceration, black shootings where black men leave the house to go jogging and end up dead. And they're going to want to know why we allowed that. Hmm. And so do I think black masculinity is under attack? Yes, I do. And I think that that black masculinity being under attack makes it hard on black women as well. It's not mm-hmm. it's not a separate thing, although it's treated separately. Mm. Well, you got a yes from Mr. Brown on that one. So he, <laughs> he, he definitely agrees with you there. Um, he had one more question here. He said, who is slash was NYC's Nat Turner? So who was in that Turner in your community growing up? Was it, I considered it to be Malcolm X. Okay. But people might differ, you know, uh, that's what I thought. So what was his answer? He didn't give an answer. Charles, oh. she, she wants you um uh, to give an answer. We have another comment here from uh, Tiffany. Um, she said, and that's by design. The advancement of the black woman has been to divide black families and to create divisiveness between black men and women. So she's agreeing with you. How I agree with that. Today, I wrote a book called Unfortunately Francine. And the reason why I wrote this book, it was a dark romance, 
but I agree with that. When I started doing statistics to read, to, to write this book, I found that black women um, outrank almost every demographic in education. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what happens to her counterpart? Mm-hmm. And what happens to relationship if black women are, are, and then you're advanced, but you're still the low person on the totem pole. So then what happens to your counterpart? If, if, if you're set up to think you don't need black men. Mm-hmm. I agree with what she said. Ooh, that was powerful. So um, Charles said that was a great answer about Malcolm X. But Charles, who, who do you think it is? So Charles is from Mississippi. He's a country boy like us. We're country girls from Louisiana. He's a country boy from Mississippi. Charles, who was your who was your um, Nat Turner growing up? Uh, Tis, did you have any more questions over there on your watch party? I, mean, I, I do, you know, Jane, <laughs> Jane just won't go over to the Hey Sister page, but <laughs> she said, since you self-published, how did you get the word out about your book? So how, what was your marketing process? Because your writing process is definitely uh, very thorough. So, well, so let me you- tell you, that is a good question. And let me tell you what happened. I had a girlfriend who was a writer and she said, I went to this company called BookBub. And she said, for a couple of coins, you can put your uh, book on BookBub and you will do like a campaign and your book will be free um, for this amount of time. And so I said, okay. And so she said, well, you just put your book in, um, African-American, uh, no, no, African-American uh, interests. That's what she said. And I said, no, I'm going to put it in historical romance because that's what it is, or historical fiction. That's what it is. And um, so I did BookBub, and I think it was $300 that I spent. And I remember thinking to myself, Lord, I hope my kids don't find out I done spent $300. It's like I'm talking to a psychic network and they don't, you know, it's bad, you know. So that morning I woke up, I had two downloads. And what BookBub does is they send out this blast and then people um, download your book for free for however amount of time you do. And um I think I woke up that morning when the campaign started and I had like two downloads. I said, oh, my goodness. So I went on to work. And by the time I got to work, I had 96 downloads. And I thought if I get 300, that's 300 more people than knew about me, because at this point, only my kids and my mother knew about this book. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So what I did, um, I started working. And at lunchtime, I'm getting ready to go to lunch with my friends. And I had 9,000 downloads. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. uh, By the end of the week, I had 28,000 downloads. And I figured out that the publishing companies use BookBub as well. Mm -hmm. And so often people don't know. And it's B-O-O-K-B-U-B. And you can go on and oftentimes what they want you to do is to give your book away free or do a uh, 99 cent. And hey, no one is 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 reading the book. So free to get people involved. And I 
I did it for a week because I thought nobody would. And I ended up with 28,000 downloads and it was the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I did BookBub several times. I did things like them. They had like the fussy librarian and they have, you, you pay a certain amount of money. And what I was concerned about is that maybe I'm paying and it just looks like I have downloads and I didn't, but people who, friends of mine, who I didn't know even knew about BookBub were contacting me to say, your book's on BookBub today. So that was a, a confidence booster. Um, and then I went to, I go to reading clubs, uh, book clubs. Um, mm -hmm. I'm accessible. Uh, I try to go to book clubs. I go to book events. But I think the beginning for me was two things. I had a young lady at the National Book Conference buy my book. Um, and she took it back to her group in Detroit, and that started a buzz, and then BookBub. And so um, you can do, and, and listen, James Patterson is out there on BookBub, you know, from time to time, mm -hmm. Alice Walker. So this is things that I thought Black America doesn't know. So I'm glad that she asked that question. It's B-O-O-K-B-U-B. Dot com okay. And you can go on there and get yourself an author profile and you can, they, they do free campaigns, but you get more out of the campaigns you pay for. Mm -hmm. And the campaigns can be pricey, but it, it was the difference between my mother and just my kids knowing about the book. That's so phenomenal. Good. And so we had a question about, so do those downloads go towards you becoming a bestseller? You know, I believe you have to do 35,000 uh, downloads that are paid. But nowadays, um, I've also learned this. I wanted to be the bestseller, bestseller, bestseller. But I have learned to enjoy uh, the process of becoming a well-known author. Hmm. And so I that was something that I couldn't appreciate because I kept seeing it, the success of it, through uh, the eye or through a white lens. This to me is success to be here because this same time five years ago, nobody was interested in interviewing me and it had to do with the efforts of getting out there. Yes, wow. I love that. I'm, I'm trying to paraphrase that, but that is so powerful because I think all too often people get caught up in seeing right? Yes. Versus being known for your work and your worth. That's right. That, that touched my spirit. Sister, you was about to ask something and then we're going to uh, transition. Well, there's, first of all, there's a lot that you said here that spoke directly to my spirit. Uh, I am a screenwriter. I don't do it every day, but I will say I'm a screenwriter because that it took me a long time to say that I wouldn't, I would never say it because I didn't have, I didn't have anything sold. So in the very same way, um, I was measure. I have been measuring myself by the fact that when I sell something, then I'd be allowed to say that I'm a screenwriter, even though I have more than one script that I've completed. So, um, so thank you for, first of all, helping me clarify about that measure. That's a screenwriter, somebody who's writing, and putting together screenplays, that's a screenwriter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. but you know, again, but sometimes I'm looking at it from the, the, you know, I haven't, I haven't sold anything. And then, you know, when you were talking about your writing process and how many um, edits and your test readers and all of those things, 
you know, so my number one question was, are you self-funding? Um, yes. uh, okay. <laughs> I do self-fund. Okay. And I, I have a, but you know what? I've come a long way because the books pay for each other now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, black readers have shown up and I have to say that I'm about to go up on Audible and the readers have shown up and appreciate and shown love. Listen, let me tell you something. When people read a lot, it is a compliment when they are willing to take their book budget and spend $8.99 on you. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. And yeah. so they have made it. And so many people have said, Joan, will you do a movie? I, I don't have a way. I, I've, I've not gotten that in my head yet. So I so my next move now is to bring Black up on Audible. And the, the sales from this book is about to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Because wow. it, it will get there. Because believe me, Black people are dependable when you sell them a product that's worth it. Yes. Oh, wow. We have so many great things happening here in our comments. But first, Joan, <laughs> I would like to introduce you to a screenwriter. Her name is Christina, and she'll help bring Black to life for you. How about that? Yeah. Let, okay. let, let's start right there. I How about that? that? Yes. I saw yes. that. I love it. I love yes. that. Yes. Thank you, sister. I, I appreciate that. No, I would. We I have would, another I, comment, too. It says <laughs> the next Tyler Perry is Christina Hill. Speak it into Ooh, existence. How about that? How about okay. that? And, I, and you talked about your age, too, because that's another thing that sometimes I get tripped up on the idea that okay well I'm in I'm in my 40s now and so I should have and my sister talks about this in her book should have shooting all over ourselves right right (laughs) I should have gotten to a certain a different place by now by this point but everybody has their process so uh just like the writing but what I was going to ask the next part is about the editing because you mentioned you have a lot of test readers, you have the, uh, your editor is very de- uh, intimately involved. For me, you know, with doing screenwriting, I I get coverage for my scripts, and sometimes I get comments back, and that it shuts it down for me. So like when you're saying you have to do this every day, sometimes it's like ah, I I just can't do it every day because now I've gotten shut down. How do you stop yourself from doing that? Like not taking it personally and just getting back in. Two things I'm going to answer for you because the age thing, you, I, I brought up the age because it was a hindrance for me. But what I have learned, your writing grows the older you get. Mm. And so that has to be something that will move you away from being tripped up on the age because you don't think the way you did at 22. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) So I at first was regretful about that. And then as I started getting older, I realized, oh, hmm, that's pretty deep. But I wouldn't have known that at 20. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it reflects in the writing. So writing can be like fine wine. The older you get, the better it gets. I like that. So that is that is something that that is really, really true based on your experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. And then two, the editing. What was your other question about the editing? You know, not taking Taking it personally. personally, Yes. Let me tell you, if you're going to be an artist, you can't take anything personal. You have got to work on the emotional IQ because when people are looking at your work, you have put it out there to be criticized. I know we think these are our babies and they are, but that is how you hone your craft. 
Amen. Let me tell you, my book four came up and I was sitting down drinking my coffee and I looked on Amazon and all the five stars, I got my first one star. I called my daughter and I said, well, I took that on the chin and I'm on book five. I think I gave it a whole 10 minutes of thinking about you have to press on. And I'm going to tell you something. When you write, that's the other thing that will keep you pressed on. When you write a book and it's complete, you must move on from that work so you can do the next work. You can't live in it. Oh, okay. So we have a lot happening and I know. So can we extend this at least 15 more minutes? Are you okay with extending at least 15 minutes? Because okay. let me tell you. We have so much. So um, Katie Turner, so she's the 15-year-old who is watching. Okay. She, she wants to know, how do you work through or move through writer's block? So this is something that I am thankful has not happened. But you know why? I'm, it, I figured it out for me. I write historical fiction and uh, also romance. And once you dig in, in the history of us, it's so rich that you will move away from writer's block. So I said that to say this, little miss, you don't have to be a historical writer, but you do have to read current events. You do have to uh, look at documentaries. You do have to read, um, I buy magazines that talk about emotions. Sometimes I bought a magazine, uh, oh, probably about a year ago. And the title of the magazine was Jealousy. And that's all it talked about. The different types of envy that people experience. And it was from a scientific point of view. So in order to enhance your writing and then move away from writer's block is you probably need to take maybe 20 minutes a day and read current events and they don't all have to be political it could be about the woman in the, in in her dog that was rescued i saw an article uh recently about an orphanage that was closed down and over 600 children in tennessee were murdered in this in in this orphanage and and the nurse was like nurse death and so they did a whole story on that. Um, but it was a sensational story to tell you what people had been through. So you want to do a little history looking, you want to do a little bit of looking at how people interact. And then you want to do a little bit of reading, maybe two articles a day. Okay. All right. We have a, um, a several comments. So I'm going to hit up some of the comments, another okay. question, and then we're going to get to kind of wrapping it up because this, okay. this is hot tonight. So we have uh, one says that was in, that's inspiring. Writing can be like fine wine. The older it gets, the better it gets. We love that comment. Um, we have someone said that they are excited that you're taking it to audio because they are addicted audiobook person. Wow. Um, so that is um exciting there. Let's see. Um, we expand your reading palette. Yes, I love yes. that. Yes, use that word expanding your reading palette. We had another question said from someone who is an avid reader. How can avid readers um become a test reader? They won't know how can they how can I become a test reader? Because this sounds like fun. <laughs> I usually I usually go through my inbox and pick people. 
All right. I usually well, go through my inbox and pick people. And about expanding your reading palette, not only does she need to read, right? Um, because what she doesn't realize that she thinks is 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 writer's block is is just her age. And as you grow, you experience different things that you add to your arsenal of being able to tell a story. So what she thinks is writer's block is just being young. And that's a good thing because mm -hmm. she's going to tell the same story another time. And it won't be from a writer's block point of view. Mm hmm. Well, we are so excited. Wait, so you missed the one that Charles Brown. You can't. No, I'm, I'm coming. I'm okay, coming okay, back. Okay, so okay, sister, okay, I missed Okay. Because <laughs> we got two exciting offers tonight. So Charles, he says how dope you are. He's so excited, and so he wants to purchase twenty books and donate those copies, and he wants an autographed copy. You okay. know so. Okay, yes, 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 Charles Brown. We are going to do that for sure. So, Charles, we'll be following up with you. You can connect with Joan on her Facebook page. Yes. She's also on Instagram and Twitter, but she but says mostly Facebook. Mostly Facebook that's where I answer everybody. So she answers everybody on Facebook. So connect with her there. But send us a message and we'll make this connection happen. Because another thing that Joan is offering tonight is she is going to do 10. Y'all heard me? 10. Kindle versions of Black. So if you want to get a copy, the first 10 people who on Hey Sister, you're going to have to go to Hey Sister and you're going to have to send us a message there. Send us your email address because we don't want y'all putting y'all email addresses in the comments for the whole world to see, okay? <laughs> and they will forward the email addresses to me and when I get them, I will take care of sending you a gift of, of, of the Black on Kindle and Kindle has the app so you don't have to do anything other than accept the gift and start reading. Yes. So I know for some, if y'all are excited about that, you just uh, like give us some yay hand clap. Um, and we have another comment. He's, she says she, she is artistry author preaching. So your <laughs> message is resonating with the people. For sure. Uh, oh, Jane, Jane, don't put your don't put your email address in the comments. Send send us a private message for that email address because uh, we don't want you to get spammed out of your mind right here by putting it in this form. So yes, go to the Hey Sister page if you're on there. Send us a message, and um, and then before we wrap up, we want to bring Miss Rico back on because we want to yes. thank her for introducing us to Miss Joan, and then talk about where. Um, th the things that she's doing in the book club that she's in that brought you to them. So, hey, Miss Rico. <laughs> hello, hello. Isn't she fabulous? Yes, we heard yes, that. We yes. know you've been listening in as to the conversation. Girl, I told it at you. I told it at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's been absolutely wonderful. I am so excited. The book club that I'm in, my initial one that got me started with her is one that I belong to, but it's a private book club. So that doesn't help anybody really. It's book, but it's with a group that's called Sisters of the Valley. So for those of you who are here in Arizona and are interested, Sisters of the Valley is open to all of us, which might be a nice um, entree for you guys to come take advantage of. And 
that book club leads me to several others that I'm a part of. And one is going to be that we're going to do for the sorority as part of our arts initiative. And so I'm looking forward to connecting with Joan in September for that book. So we'll have some time over the summer to read and do that. Now, it will be through Zoom. So even people that are far away, we're going to invite them to be a part of this, too. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm super excited as well, and I can't wait to get started. Now, I'm, I'm a little slower of a reader than um, some, but you know, it depends on the story and how it hits me because sometimes when it hits you, like you said, when you're writing, because um, even writing my own first book and a, a total different genre, because I'm in, um, in coaching, a life coach, leadership coach. Uh -huh. You know, th those moments are those breaks in like, OK, well, I'm going to put this down because, you know, you kind of get those moments that deflate you or whatever. And then it's like, no, 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 no. I had picked it back up. I'm like, why did you let this sit down for a year? Girl, you better smack out of it, snap out of it and get yes. back on it. Right. And yes. so I just so love all the wisdom that you shared with us this evening. Yeah. The advice, the authenticity, because, yes. you know, talking about. You know, in this moment, and my sister said, in the year of our Lord 2020, if we don't get clear on our blackness yeah. um, and what that means and the power in that, there's so much power in that. Um, and telling our stories, sharing our stories, we are not a monolith. We are, I think we're more than three dimensional, right? right. Because right. we are truly powerful and magical and we have to embrace all of that, even the good, the bad, the snake the, part of it, the right. ugly, you know, because it's all kind of, but we're so multifaceted. So to hear the beautiful you- beautiful and the wonderful as well. Yes, <laughs> yes, but to hear you walking so authentically in that yes. and owning it and, and talking about our love, because yes, there are love stories. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. it's not just the same story, right? That's um. true. And the other piece to it is I wanted to give real answers to the process of trying to be self-published. I wanted to be able to answer real questions. So the young lady should look me up on Facebook because I answer all questions and especially to younger readers. Um, because you want to pave the way, you want to make it better um, for them. And so if, if you have questions about the process, I have not a problem sharing with you uh, the answers because what I hate is interviews where, they're, where the answer is vague. Mm -hmm. I can't write all the books in the world. So if someone else writes a good book while I'm writing mine, then my readers are still entertained. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. And that's a part of our love as well. It's not just romantic. It's in the giving and the giving yes. back and lifting each other up. So, Katie, I know you. I know where you live. So you better reach out to Miss Joan because I, I'm going to be following up with her to make sure that you have reached out to her as she helps uh, shepherd you Um through your journey. And I, I, yeah. I just, and that's the wonderful thing about this platform. Hey sister, and how we're connecting people together. Yeah. So may I, may I say something about a different book of hers? Yes. Please. Okay, now, now while black is a series that has to do with the historical love child, <laughs> this unfortunately Francine book, I said, what in the Wakanda? <laughs> <laughs> And, and and it's a it's her first book in this series, and it is about a woman 
who who takes this journey she she meets this guy i'm not speaking out of turn because it's part of the anyway she meets this guy and and he his ex-girlfriend comes in the into the restaurant and causes a scene and she says oh i am out of here i don't have time for drama and she leaves and walks and tries to get to her car or something and then unfortunate events happen honey this man grabs her and totally different than the black series now if you want some juice and you be like what (laughs) (laughs) that's what's going to be happening in here with unfortunately francine i was like oh my word what is i mean it's just such a dichotomy so this is going to be a wonderful book and that one is going to be with my other book club this next month if we're going to go over that one but i so encourage you to take a look at unfortunately francine one of the cool things that you all can do and i'm sure you all know this just a reminder is go to amazon because right there you can open the book and you get a few glimpses of the first few pages mm-hmm. trust me you'll want to get it mm-hmm. well i don't think there that there's no other better summary than that so we typed in the comments the first 10 people who we get that private message from you will get the kindle version of black by joan vassar Charles will be following up with you. He is going to purchase 20 copies and he wants an autographed copy. So Joan, we got to uh, make sure that you are able to connect with him to send him his autographed copy because he okay. wants he wants your uh, Joan Hancock. How about right. that? <laughs> yes, we love it. And yes. so we have, thank, thank you so much, Ms. Vassar and Hey Sister. I'm so glad that I caught this episode. Thanks, Tiffany, for watching over thank in you. Dallas, Texas. We have Claudine with her daughter, mm-hmm. Katie, saying, y'all are killing me. I have to finish a dissertation, and now I really want to read, unfortunately, Francine. (laughs) (laughs) So, absolutely. Well, everybody, we thank you so much for joining us tonight on Hey Sister. We ask that you like, follow, and share. This episode will be up on YouTube, so it'll be there for posterity, so you can go back and, um, and check it out. Share it with your friends. And continue to like, follow, and share. Hey, sister, you know, this community that we're trying to build here, as we said, is for sisters, by sisters, and about sisters and misters. And we want to, we we feel like we're connected to your mission, Joan, as well. And sharing our stories, sharing um, our brilliance and our authenticity and magnifying and glorifying it every day. So we are so excited to have you. And Rico, we want to thank you for introducing Joan to us, for your love of the arts, for all of your talents and your um, your long um, career that you have had and continuing to share this type of work with the world. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. I'm glad to have been here. All right. Well, if all of you will hold the line, we're going to end our broadcast tonight. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.